I'm going to be reading from the seventh chapter of the book of Acts, and I invite you to open your Bibles uh, to that passage beginning in verse 51, and we'll read one verse into Acts chapter 8. And uh, it might help you to have just a little bit of context uh, before I read this passage. Uh, the setting, the time is after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's after the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit has come. The church has been established. In fact, the church is very successful. And the church is growing in such a way that the apostles need help with the ministry. So they call out seven helpers. And one of those is Stephen. And he is the focus of our, of our scripture and our message this morning. Uh, Stephen, at one point, at this particular point, is preaching the good news of Jesus Christ. But Stephen runs into a buzzsaw. And the buzzsaw is the established church of the day. Ironically, it's the same established religious leader as the Sanhedrin who uh, gave Jesus a mock trial right before his crucifixion. And uh, Stephen, in his speaking and his honest truth sharing, uh, runs into this buzzsaw of uh, people who were more interested in retaining their power and more interested in retaining their position and more interested in preserving the status quo than being open to the change that the gospel of Jesus Christ brings to individuals and to structures. And uh, so he runs into that buzzsaw as we'll read about. So in Acts chapter 7, beginning in verse 51, I'll read. And if you are able, would you stand and come to attention as God's word comes among us? Stephen speaking. You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you are forever opposing the Holy Spirit just as your ancestors used to. Which of the prophets did your ancestors not persecute? They killed those who foretold the coming of the righteous one, and now you have become his betrayers and murderers. You are the ones that received the law as ordained by angels, and yet you have not kept it. When they heard these things, they became enraged and ground their teeth at Stephen. But filled with the Holy Spirit... He gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they covered their ears and with a loud shout all rushed together against him. Then they dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. While they were stoning Stephen, he prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out in a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said this, he died. And Saul approved of their killing of him. That day a severe persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout the countryside of Judea and Samaria. The Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It might help us to think about this story that I just read uh, as a movie. And think of Luke's narration of this scene as the camera in the hands of the film director. And I want you to notice how the camera swings alternately between a focus on Stephen 
and then a focus on the cruel, angry, hate-filled mob of church people who were trying to kill him. And then away from the hate-filled religious people back to Stephen and back and forth. For example, if you start in verse 54, uh, the enraged crowd, when they heard these things, they ground their teeth at Stephen. Then the camera swings in verse 55 back to Stephen. But filled with the Holy Spirit, he gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God. And then uh, he continues his speech in verse 56. And then in verse 57, the camera swings back. But they, discovered, they covered their ears and with a loud shout all rushed against him, dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. And then the camera swings back. And while they're killing him, Stephen says, Lord, receive my spirit He knelt down and said, Lord, don't hold this against them. The camera just swings back and forth as if to contrast the love and forgiveness of Stephen, the hate and rage of the angry mob, and back and forth the camera swings. It's powerful. And this is a very historic and important pivotal story because as far as we know, Stephen is the first martyr of the Christian church. We say as far as we know because... There might be stories that aren't told in Scripture. And we also notice that Stephen quotes two of Jesus' sayings on the cross. Father, receive my spirit. And the other one is also from Luke 23. Basically, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So let me just slip this in early in case some of you go to sleep from lack of a full night's rest. Let me just get this in early. We're never more like Jesus than when we forgive. We're never more like Jesus than when we forgive. Now, the other lesson that we learn from this story is that sin is never merely an individual thing. Sin is always corporate. That is that sin adheres, individual sins adheres to structures and institutions and systems and organizations like dried egg omelets sticking to the skillet. Individual sins stick to systems. And the temple was the focus of Stephen's sermon. We didn't have time to read his whole speech, but the temple of Jesus' day and Stephen's day was an institution. It wasn't just a building. It was a system. It was an organization. It was an emotional attachment. It was a source of allegiance. It was a source of great emotion and loyalty. It was a very complex system. And Stephen attacked that because he said, you started worshiping the temple instead of worshiping God. And it enraged them because they, they knew that was true. Deep down, they knew that was true. And the temple was supposed to exist to help people, to assist widows. And yet Jesus had said in his ministry that the people of the temple are devouring widows' savings and taking their property. So the temple had become corrupt. Sin sticks to systems and institutions and organizations. And and just to be very clear... In this life we live, not only individuals can wound us and hurt us deeply, but institutions and organizations and systems and corporate life can wound us deeply. It can be 
cruel, it can be uncaring, it can be unrelenting, it can be extremely painful. So on this path of forgiveness, we have to pray for the grace of Jesus, not only to forgive individuals, but we have to come to the place in our lives where like Stephen, we can come to the place where we not only forgive individuals, but we forgive institutions and systems which have harmed us and have harmed the people we love. I'm so very thankful that you made it possible this past summer for me to uh, travel to South Africa for the Baptist World Congress. It's held every five years. And uh, it was held in Durban, South Africa. And most of you know that South Africa, for generations, was the source of cruel apartheid, the oppression by white people of all people of color, brutality, the denial of humanity and dignity, uh, the denial of human rights, segregation, murders of all kinds. And when apartheid, that institution of corporate sin, was finally dismantled in the 1980s and 1990s, and when Nelson Mandela became president, South Africa made a critical decision as a nation. They decided to seek restorative justice rather than punitive justice. They decided that if they tried to prosecute and punish every white person who had committed crimes uh, in the name of that, that white supremacist government, that they would have nothing but bloodshed and civil war for generations to come. So they made an option. They made a decision to focus on restorative justice. And they established what was called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. In order to achieve, in order to experience amnesty from the government for crimes committed against humanity, in order to achieve human, uh, uh, amnesty, you know what the perpetrators had to do? They had to publicly confess and acknowledge what they had done. That's it. They didn't even have to express remorse, they just had to tell the truth. Truth and Reconciliation Commission. I was privileged while I was in South Africa to attend a workshop led by the man who organized those commission hearings. He'd make sure the witnesses arrived safely. He'd make sure that all the hearing rooms were inspected for bombs and that all of the, uh, the details of the hearings took place. And he told amazing stories. Now, you wouldn't think that simply admitting that you had participated in apartheid would be punishment enough. But you see, a lot of these prison guards and police did these activities of persecuting and beating and murdering people, and their families never knew what they were doing. They just thought Dad was out working a night shift. And to have to publicly confess what they had done so that their families heard the brutality in which they'd participated was truly shame-filling and punishment enough. Not only were they forced to publicly confess what they had done, they were forced to make those acknowledgments in the presence of victims and or the victims' family members. And what's more, the victims and the victims' family members could cross-examine the person who was confessing. 
A powerful story is told that in the midst of one truth and reconciliation hearing, a woman told of her, a black woman told of her father who'd been murdered by the white supremacist government. And she said, we want desperately to find the man who murdered our father. And then there was this long pause. And she said, we want desperately to find him so we can forgive him. Powerful, isn't it? To think of the grace that Jesus gives for us to not only forgive individuals, but to forgive institutions that have done wrong. In the midst of this kind of thought, knowing what we are experiencing in the current climate in our United States of America, with all of the vitriol and all of the hate-filled speech and with all of the divided spirit, with all of the, the attacks and all the things that are going on, do you think possibly this is a message we need to hear in America today? That we practice grace and forgiveness, not only of individuals, but of systems. I want to show you a quote by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He once wrote, a church that calls a nation to faith in Christ must, must itself be the burning fire of love in this nation. The driving force for reconciliation. The place in which all the fires of hatred are extinguished and prideful, hate-filled people are turned into people who love. Do you hear what Bonhoeffer's saying? He's saying the church should not be part of the problem. The church should not be pouring gasoline on the fires of hatred and prejudice and animosity. The church should be bearing witness to the reconciling love of Jesus Christ. The church should be fulfilling her mission of being that one place where there's civil discourse and there's patient loving and there's forgiving of individuals and systems that are imperfect and that have wounded us. This is our calling to be ourselves the burning witness of light and grace and forgiveness. Not, not part of the problem. The church is to be the institution of forgiveness, not the institution that perpetrates the hatred and the ugliness. When I started this sermon series on the path of forgiveness, actually several weeks before I uh, started the series, uh, through social media and in church publications, I invited you to share with me stories of forgiveness and your struggles with forgiveness. And I received some amazing and insightful comments. Thank you all. Can't possibly share them all, but one one person shared about her granddaughter who was the victim of attempted murder. And for many days, the granddaughter uh, was in the hospital unconscious before she made recovery. And this grandmother shared what it was like trying to forgive the person who attacked the granddaughter. And she said, you know, it's like forgiveness has stages just like grief has stages. 
denial, anger, depression, acceptance. And then she said, something will happen. You'll see something on the news, or you'll hear a phrase, or someone will say something. And she said, it's like triggering it, and you start all over again, and you feel like you haven't made any progress at all. And you have to start all over again with that cycle of forgiveness. She was being honest about how difficult it is. Another person uh, messaged me on Facebook and said, you know, I was carrying around a lot of hate and a lot of unforgiveness, individuals and systems that had wronged me. And then she said, one day I made a decision that I didn't want that cancer in my soul. I didn't want that cancer in my soul. And that's a good way to describe what happens if we let that bitterness just hang around very long. As I think about what Stephen modeled for us, and as I think about the South African government and the South African Truth and Reconciliation Commission, these brave testimonies that were shared with me on Facebook and through other means, um, I have some questions that I'd like to ask uh, related to this, this story about Stephen in Acts 7. Here's my first question. In this story, in which Stephen was stoned to death, you tell me, who was alive and who was dead? Now, your first answer is, well, the cruel, angry, organized religion of the day was alive, and at the end of the story, Stephen was dead. But I'm not so sure, because Stephen went on to be with Jesus And those people that were throwing those stones and killed him, something had died on the inside. Something has to die on the inside for you to, in the name of your God, kill another person in the name of your religion. Another way to ask that question would be, who's free and who's enslaved? You know, that was a good question to ask during the days of slavery in our United States. The oppressors were enslaved to a system just like the slaves were enslaved to a system. Same thing in South Africa, same thing with injustice anywhere. The oppressor is just as enslaved as the one oppressed. Here's a second question. Who will be influenced for Christ by the way I forgive? Someone's always watching. Did you know that? Even when you don't want somebody to be watching, someone's watching. Even when you don't know anybody's watching, someone's watching. While Stephen knelt there and his head became bloodier and his vision became blurred and the people were just spitting venom and foaming at the mouth, throwing rocks, there was a young man there named Saul of Tarsus and he'd He was ambitious. It was his goal to become the very best Pharisee. And he was there to stamp out this movement, the way called the Jesus way. And he said to all the people, now you can't really get a very good shot if you have a big bulky coat on. You can't really aim those rocks very well if you have a big heavy coat on. Why don't you take your coats off and just lay them here at my feet and I'll watch your coats while you go ahead and kill him. 
And Saul watched them kill Stephen. But the seed of evangelism was planted that day. Saul didn't know it, but in his mind, his heart was touched by the forgiveness that Stephen offered. God planted a seed, and it later germinated when Saul of Tarsus became the Apostle Paul, the greatest church planter and the greatest evangelist that the church has ever known. And it started because he witnessed a Christian forgiving an individual and a system for murder. So who's going to be watching when you and I choose to forgive or not forgive? Who's going to be negatively or positively impacted when you and I make decisions to forgive or not forgive? Somebody's always watching. Here's a third question I have for us. Who wants to die and stand before God with gunk on your soul? Stephen died. He fell asleep in Jesus, Scripture literally says. King James actually gets it right. He fell asleep and he woke up in Jesus' presence. He went to the presence of God and his soul was clean. Now, who here this morning wants to die with grudges on your heart? Who wants to stand before the Lord with gunk on your soul? Show of hands. Who here this morning wants to go, when you die, stand before the Lord with a clean slate? Raise your hand if you want to stand before the Lord with a clean slate. I sure do. But my goodness... Stephen died with a clean slate. He died with forgiveness on his lips. And here's the fourth, and I think maybe the the most intriguing question. Why did the glorified Christ in heaven stand up when Stephen died? All other scriptural references to the glorified Christ, by that we mean crucified, risen, after his time with the disciples, ascended back to God at the right hand of God. Every other reference in scripture to the glorified Christ, he is seated at the right hand of God. But scripture says Stephen saw Jesus, the Christ, standing at the right hand of God. And I've read in commentaries, and you have too, They said, perhaps this is Jesus honoring the first martyr of the church. Maybe that's true. But here's what I'd like to think. I'd like to think that Jesus stood and applauded because Stephen forgave. And isn't it a beautiful thought to, to consider that when we forgive, Jesus stands up off of his throne and claps and says... Way to go. You could have held a grudge. You could have hated. You could have destroyed your witness, but you forgave. Way to go. You forgave not only an individual, but a cruel and unjust system. Way to go. Welcome home. I'm proud of you. Because remember, we're never, ever more like Jesus than when we forgive. Let's pray. Maybe as we bow for just a couple of moments...
you would be uh, open to a time of centering private prayer where you might be willing to unload some stuff, some gunk off of your soul related to some injustice toward you from an individual or a conglomerate of individuals, a system. And you'd be willing to just shed that. Say, Jesus, I'm just tired of carrying it around. This season of Lent, I want to be done with it in the name of Jesus and with the help of Jesus. And maybe as you pause for prayer, uh, for the first time, you'd like to experience the grace of Jesus. You'd You'd like to participate in the Jesus forgiveness by personally claiming and trusting Jesus Christ, by admitting your sin, truth and reconciliation, by admitting your sin, and asking Jesus to come into your heart to trust him as your personal Savior. Maybe you want during our response time to come and share any of those decisions. Maybe you want to just come and pray about something right where you stand. You may pray about that. Any who are ready to become a part of our church family, we'd be happy to receive you as well. Lord, in these moments, give us honesty before you honesty with ourselves, and an openness to your Holy Spirit's nudges. Through Christ our Lord, amen.